It's good to see you guys. My name is Kyle, so if you are visiting with us, uh, now you know my name. I'm glad that you're here, and hope I get a chance to meet you before you go today. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are in the final week of this series on the Christian life. And so far, what we've seen is that the Christian life is built upon uh, a love for God's Word, a devotion to prayer, a fellowship or the fellowship with the saints. And last week we looked at it's built upon a participation in the ordinances. So this participation in the ordinances. And today what I want to talk about is uh, how it's built upon a missional lifestyle. A missional lifestyle. And so uh, let me read to you our text today and then I'll pray and we'll get rolling. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Paul writes here, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised." From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you first and foremost for your word. We thank you that it is the power of life unto us. I want to pray that as we examine your word now, as we look into it, uh, Lord, would you empower us by your spirit to understand it, to hear it, to believe it, to follow it. Uh, Father, we're this passage and this text and uh, even this sermon where it may challenge us or convict us father i pray that you help us to see christ more clearly to follow him in obedience lord we love you and uh, we pray that your word would accomplish what it's made uh, what it's written for to bring life to us and to others it's in christ's name i pray amen Amen. So what I, what I hope to do with our time today is present to you this thought uh, that the final, maybe essential element of the faithful Christian life is that it is built upon a missional lifestyle. If you're taking notes, you can write that down at the top and kind of that, um, that main point there. The faithful Christian life is built upon a missional lifestyle. Now, what is a missional lifestyle? What, what do we mean when we're talking about living a missional life? What, what, what is it that we're saying? Uh, one of the ways I would kind of summarize this, at least in a sentence, would be this way. It is a life that seeks to use all of its spheres of influence. So all the, the little places you go, you exist, all those uh, spheres of influence that you have, this is a life that seeks to use those intentionally for the spread of the gospel in the world. So what this does is it takes us from like Matthew 28, 19, where it says, go therefore into all the world and proclaim the good news, right? Make disciples. 
But what this does to us is it takes us from an idea that go into all the world literally means that we must like make this attempt to like go to a foreign land or go to um, you know some place or exist in ministry where we're getting to to be very specific in our life. When Christ tells disciples to go therefore and make disciples, what he is telling them is as you go, make disciples. It's this thought rather than like it has to be a specific like mission trip or something to that extent, or we're all going to get together one Saturday morning and go knock on doors together, uh, which may work, may not work. But what this is really describing is that as you go in your life, as you go about your day, as you're in your jobs, in your homes, in your, around your people, Make disciples. Let this be a lifestyle that you live. And so uh, these words take us from viewing it as this thing that's maybe just for some people who are gifted in some way to help us realize that this is for all Christians, that as we go, we can too be making disciples. Uh, In the words of the great theologian, the Mandalorian, this is the way. (laughs) Missional Christians view the home We view the neighborhood, we view the workplace, the academy, the marketplace, and all the things beyond and between as opportunities to build relationships with the intent to spread the message of Christ crucified to save sinners. This is part of our life now. This is to be our mission. Now, I want to be uh, to, to kind of peel back the veil that some preachers can have, even unintentionally, and just uh, I want to show you a little bit into my heart and, and just be uh, upfront with you. This is new for me. <laughs> All right, I, I mean, this is this idea of living this way has largely been absent from my life. I don't stand up here proud about that. I just I just stand up here like confessing to you. This is. This is who I am, like outside of the work that I do for the church, outside of the work that I have in parenting unbelieving children, right? All of our children are at first at least unbelievers, right? Outside of those places, I've not made much attempt to to involve myself in the lives of unbelievers. I've not even spent much time thinking about ways that I could use my current spheres of influence or even maybe gain some new ones, right? Create some new ones, get involved in some new places, some new things to where I might be around more lost people. But the book of Acts, as we've been preaching through it and we're going to pick it back up next week, I'm excited to do so. The book of Acts has been working on my heart. It's been jacking with me, if I'm honest. It's been messing me up a little bit. It's been chipping away at my desire for comfort. As I've seen those early believers, and when we read about that they considered it a great joy to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, that hit home with me. As I saw Stephen lose his life for the sake of Christ, as I have seen Peter in prison for telling others about Jesus, and we'll... We'll see it more in the coming chapters. As I've seen the community of saints displaced, right? Just, just spread throughout unknown parts of the world, to them, at least unknown to them in some way. They're displaced for sharing the gospel and they go to these new places and what do they do? They share the gospel again. For them, this was life. This was who we are. And so I've been both convicted by these texts, convicted by these things in a way that's good and right, but I've also been encouraged. Like this is my heritage. This is our heritage. This is our history. We stand on the shoulders of great saints like we read about in Acts. People who risked everything for the Lord. People who gave it all up for Christ. And the Lord, as He does, He's used His Word. He's used it to teach me what it means, what it looks like to really, truly deny myself, to take up my cross, to, to follow Him. His Word will always lead us to new ways of life, into new ways that the Lord wants to use you to spread His name into the world. This is life more abundantly. This is what Christ is meaning. Now, this has been a journey for me 
And it's a journey of which I'm still on. I, I, I suspect it's a journey for everyone, so I want to be up front with you. I'm not standing on like this mountaintop of missional living and saying, hey, all you need to get on my level. <laughs> I've not arrived at any kind of a place like that. What I'm in the middle of right now, I think, is that I'm in the process of blazing a trail. And I'm inviting you, even in this sermon, and even over the years, I was telling the, I meet with some guys during the week, and we talk about the upcoming sermon. And I was telling the guys, I don't have like an unrealistic expectation about this sermon that somehow preaching this message, maybe it will, this will be a miracle from the Lord, and I will welcome it gladly. But I don't have this unrealistic expectation that after we preach this, after we talk through this, that we're all going to go and be perfectly missional from now on. Right? We're, we're going to stumble forward in this by God's grace. And really what we're after is something that changes the trajectory of the church for the next 10 years, 15 years, 100 years. Right, Not something that immediately um, happens in us, but a new way of thinking, a new way of, of living. And, and so I hope that it comes across that way as I walk through this. This is more of a, like I said, an invitation to join me on this journey of becoming missional, living missionally in, in the world. Now I think from this text, what Paul lays before us is just an insight into his heart, insight into what led him to, uh, to live in this way. And, and so as we examine this way that he's talking about, I think at least three marks of missional living come to the surface. At least three things that we should be watching for and praying for and hoping for and, and things we should see in our, our own lives as we progress in our walk with the Lord. The first thing is a conviction of a new life. It's a conviction of a new life. Let me just read verses 11 through 15 again, just so, so we hear them afresh. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. I love this line. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The point I want to make to you from this and, and just kind of the thing that jumps out immediately off the pages here is that the missional lifestyle is ultimately about knowing whose you are. It's ultimately about knowing who you belong to, right? Who, who, is, who is now alive in you. The point I want to make about that is that when you know whose you are, you don't worry yourself other, other, over sorry, what others say you are. When you, when you know whose you are, you do not worry yourself over who others say you are. Rather, you commit yourself to helping them know the one to whom your heart belongs. This becomes a main concern for you, something that you're, you're concerned about. You live with this conviction of a new life, that like, I'm a new man, I'm a new woman. The Spirit of the living God is alive in, in me, and He's resurrected me to new life so that now I can go and help others be resurrected to new life. Because we are alive in Christ, we now die to ourselves. We die to our cares, to our desires, to our dreams for our life. What we think will bring the most meaning to our lives. We lay those down at the feet of Christ and we take on the life that Christ desires for us. The one that He gives to us and we live fully and faithfully for Him because He gave Himself for us. Uniting ourselves to the Lord as He's united Himself to us by His death, burial, and resurrection. This creates in us a desire for redemption. 
Like we have a desire now to be redeeming things, to see things redeemed, to see people redeemed. Ultimately, we desire the final redemption that is still to come when Christ returns in all His glory and creates or establishes this new heaven and new earth. But as we wait for that marvelous day, we devote ourselves even now to spreading the gospel into all the world that others may experience the redeeming work of Christ. This is what Paul says at the beginning of our text today in verse 11. He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And he starts that sentence with, therefore, which means there's something that came before that which led him to say that, right? So what does he say before verse 11? Well, in verse 10, he writes this. He says, we, and he's referring to all of God's people here. This is the context of what he's writing about. He says, all of God's people must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So in a very real sense, you and I will give an account of how we use or do not use this new life in Christ for the spread of Christ's name in all the world to Christ Himself. Now, the beautiful point that we need to make, we must make so that there's no confusion here, is that Romans 8.1 is very clear that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I say that Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not saying that their eternity is in the balance in that moment. They're Christians. They're His. He's bought them with a price. He saved them to Himself. They are His people. Amen? Romans 8, 38, 39 lets us know that nothing will ever separate us from that love. So, in a very real sense though, you and I have been given this new life. And I'm reminded of the parable of the talents, right? Where, where um, the, the master gives these talents away to, to his servants and some of them go and use them well, some of them go and bury it. You and I, in a very real sense, have received this new life in Christ. We've received giftings from the Lord, ways in which He's gifted us to serve the body of Christ. We're, we're uniquely wired, uniquely placed into the life that we have so that we may share the gospel in our lives, so that we may be light in the world, salt of the earth in all that we say and do. You and I have this responsibility because of this new life we've received. Now we can take it and we can sit on it, saying that we're saving it up or storing it up for heaven or whatnot. Or we could take it and we could invest it into others. We could store up our treasures in people rather than in ourselves, in our own way of living. And I think that this is what Paul is saying. He says that you and I will give an account to Christ Himself for the life that Christ Himself has given to us. There'll be a reckoning in that day of what did you do with it? And so Paul says, knowing that we with reverent obedience, he says fear, what he has in mind is a reverent obedience to the Lord who will discipline his people, but who will also come in judgment. He says, knowing all of that, we persuade others about Christ. We tell others about the Lord. We're constantly speaking of him, living for him in all of our life. Now that's a drastically different approach to the Christian life than what I'm accustomed to than what I've really made my life about. Paul and these early Christians lived with such conviction that, that, that they became proactive in sharing the gospel, right? I mean, you just see everywhere they go, everything they do, it's about doing all to the glory of God. Paul writes as much, whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. And we see that in all of their life, wherever they were, they were spreading the gospel. Mostly what I have done has been reactive with the gospel. Meaning I, I had no problem like answering an unbeliever's questions. 
I had no problem responding in love to them and with hope to see them reconciled to the Lord. I had no issues in that, but I wasn't actively seeking to develop relationships with unbelievers so that I might tell them more about this Jesus whom I love so much. This Christ who has saved me. Honestly, I've been fearful of that. Fearful of not having answers. Fearful of what others may think of me. Fearful of how it might be perceived. Thinking I can take maybe like a more relaxed, like more cool. Maybe I can make Jesus just a little more cool and then He'll be more acceptable. Nonsense, poopy pants. That's not happening. Right? The problem it became is that I was so relaxed with Christ that I didn't speak about Him at all. I was nervous to bring Him up. So we can think that we're making Jesus more cool by hanging out with old buddies and showing them that, hey, I can, you know, I, I can serve the Lord and I can still enjoy the fellowship with you. Whatever that may look like in the moment. We can watch a ball game together. We can uh, have a drink together. We can go out to eat together. We can do those kinds of things together. And, and see, I'm still, I'm still the cool, the same cool guy you know. I've just got Jesus now. Well, the problem with that kind of evangelism is it's not evangelism at all. You have to open your mouth and tell others about Jesus Christ for it to become evangelism, for it to become useful. Romans 10 lays this out as clearly as it can be. How will they hear, or how will they believe unless they have heard the gospel? It says that faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of God. And then it says, beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel into the world. There's a lifestyle in this. And I just love what Paul says because it kind of answers the fear I had, right? He says, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, he's saying if you think we're weird, we're living for God's approval only. So be it. But if you come to believe what we say about Christ, you place your faith in Him, then our weirdness is for your great gain. Praise the Lord. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. That, that word control means control. <laughs> it, it means your life is controlled. You live, you breathe, you eat, you sleep, you talk, you walk because of the love of Christ which controls you to do it. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. So this is why he says the love of Christ controls the way we live. Now, we might be thought out of our minds, and that's okay, because this is what we know about the world. This is what we know about the gospel. He says that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now, lest we be unclear about this, this is not a verse to support, that, that would support like universal salvation. That because Christ died on the cross, everyone makes it to heaven. That's so contrary to what the rest of the Bible teaches. So we must conclude that Paul's saying something different than that. Paul is saying that because Christ died, because He had to die, because God sends His Son into the world that He would die to save His people, it means then that we are all dead. They're saying because Christ died, that means that all people are dead in their sins, they're in need of a Savior. And by saving us, by creating in us new life, giving us this new way to live, we are now the ones that God has chosen to take the message of salvation into the world. We get to be a part of this. Like Sometimes I hear that and, and I, my, my, my thought is, and, and even saying is that somehow we're going to create this burden for people and we're going to have to wear this burden on our backs. But, but in Paul's mind, this is one of the most freeing, most wonderful things that we've ever been called to do. It's like the greatest job we've ever had is to now be His witnesses in all the earth. Using all of our life to proclaim the good news of Christ to sinners. 
It says, for the love of Christ controls us. We've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. I think the second thing that this means for us, uh, the second mark, rather, of this kind of life is that there's a burden for the lost. There's a significant burden for lost people. Let me read verses 16 through 19 to you. It says, From now on, therefore, so, so knowing what we know, seeing what we've seen, that we're controlled by Him, we're living for Him, He's he saved us. We know that He had to die, and therefore all who now live don't live for themselves. They live for Him who gave His life for them. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I want to deal first with this line of we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul is he's saying that as Christians now, we do not value worldly metrics for evaluating people. We are not concerned with class or status or wealth or whether or not if I buddy up with you, it'll mean a promotion in my job. We're not concerned about the way the world evaluates people. We think differently because we belong to a different world. We're sojourners now. We value eternal things over temporal things. Now, before Christ, the opposite is true. You value temporal things over eternal things. But once you are saved, something changes in you. Namely, you come to life spiritually. And things begin to change. And as you grow in Christ, you, you learn that, oh, I don't, I don't need all of that for my life to be meaningful. What I really need is more of Him. And that transforms the way you do life. It transforms the way you think about life, the way you think about your bills, the way you think about the cars you drive, the way you think about the way you eat, the clothes you wear, the homes you'll look at buying, the relationships you'll be in. Like it, it transforms you. It has to because now the love of Christ is controlling you. You're living for a different purpose. And so you've learned to now, you are learning to value eternal things over temporal things. So we begin to see others that way. We, we don't see others as temporal pieces to our satisfaction. And if they can't satisfy us in some way, if they can't meet some need we have, then we've got no need for them. They're toxic. All right? We, we, we cancel them. <laughs> we're, not, we're not about that life. We, we don't get to be about that life. We're called to live higher and better and than that with real love, real mercy, real grace, real peace exuding from us. That as we stare more and more at Jesus, we become like Christ. So we see others the way they are. As people who have been created in the image of God. As people who, if they are sinners, if they're not believers, it's because they've been separated from God because of sin. They are in need then of the saving work of Jesus Christ. So unbelievers, whether they're in your sphere of influence or they're someone you're watching on the news, they're not enemies to be conquered. Unbelievers are not our enemies to be conquered at all. Regardless of their political preferences, Regardless of their lifestyle choices, regardless of their religious beliefs, they are people who were lost without Christ. And you are chosen by God to take the gospel to them. 
Now, this requires you to die to yourself. This is why Christ says, and it's, we, we sometimes talk about how Christianity seems too easy, but if we'll go back to what Christ says it takes to be His disciple, we'll realize very quickly Christianity is not easy at all. Christ says, if you want to be My follower, you must deny yourself, meaning get rid of your desires, lay your preferences, lay all those things down, take up your cross now, which means to literally die, figuratively maybe, is to crucify those things. Crucify life as you know it. And then he says, follow me. And he goes on to say that any of you wants to gain his life, he must lose it for my sake. But if you try to save your own life, you'll lose it forever. So it requires us then to die to self, to come alive to Christ, to live on heaven-sent mission for Jesus. Now I am just observing the landscape of our nation, observing the landscape of like even immediately just kind of our world and the place we live. I, I'm a bit afraid or at least concerned, maybe is a better word, of how tribal things have gotten. Even within Christianity, like we divide over so many things. There's a camp for every thought. There's a camp for every belief. We, in each camp, seems to demonize opposing camps, like to say that that's the absolute worst, and those people are the worst, and you should have nothing to do with them because they're the worst. Christians are not without guilt in this at all. We're guilty of identifying ourselves with tribes. We're guilty of identifying ourselves with camps. And we do it all over the one identity we're actually called to be a part of, which is in Christ. Some diagnostic questions for me have been, when was the last time I prayed for an unbeliever specifically. Not that God would save some people in here, not that, but like an unbeliever that I knew and was in conversation with and I'm praying for them to turn their life to the Lord. When was the last time I did that? When was the last time I struck up a conversation with someone who has a differing view of sexuality than I do? When was the last time I struck up a conversation with people who have a differing view of politics than I do. Simply to get to know the person. Not, not looking for a way to tell them uh, uh, about how wrong they are, and how right I am, or how stupid their view is, and how amazing mine is, but rather how amazing Christ is and how well He saves us from our sins. If your first thoughts about lost people that you know or that you're observing, maybe you don't know them, but you're just kind of observing them. If your first thoughts are about how wrong they are and how dumb their way of life is, then I want to lovingly tell you you're missing the point of this new life to which you've been called. If you're not burdened for their soul, more than you are burdened by their views, then you may not understand the eternal weight of what's at stake for that person. I want to encourage all of us, myself too, to not so easily forget whose we are. To not so easily forget the message that we get to carry, like that we're privileged and honored to carry into the world. Like we need to discover a burden for lost people like we see in Paul and these early believers, like we've seen throughout church history, like we can observe even in our brothers and sisters in other nations who it's literally costing them their churches, their communities, their pastors, their fathers, their heads to serve the Lord. 
everything they do now, everything they did then was for the spread of the glory of God in the world so that unbelievers may come to know the life-saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But this is what drove them. It's that Christ, the love of Christ controls them, right? They understood the love of Christ at a level that it became controlling to their lives. And it led them in love to those around them. I, I know I've read this before, but this, this quote just messes with me. I, I, I used to think, man, that's an amazing quote. And, and then it got to where I was like, that one hurts. <laughs> And now I'm kind of back to maybe this is an amazing quote. It's <laughs> Charles Spurgeon. He says, if sinners be damned, like if sinners are going to go to hell anyway, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And, and if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one, not one, go unwarned or unprayed for. Brothers and sisters, let's devote ourselves to pray for a burden for the lost. Like I get maybe you're not there yet. Let's pray that the Lord would give us such a burden for lost people. And that maybe He would lead us then to pray for the salvation of those people. Maybe some specific people. And then maybe He would give us the opportunity or the ability and boldness to warn those people. To share with them the life-giving message of Jesus. This leads me to my final mark, and I'll, I'll, it's a little quicker. <laughs> Proclamation of the gospel. So the three marks, I think, are there's a conviction of a new life. There's a burden for lost people. And then there's proclamation. I'm now speaking about the gospel. Let's look at verses 20 and 21 again. Therefore, again, knowing what we know, Reading what we've read, having said what I've said, Paul is now saying, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. <laughs> God making His appeal through us. Wow. Wow. He goes on to say, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become now the righteousness of God. An ambassador. Just the word ambassador implies, it means someone who's entrusted to carry the message of the one who sent that person. What this means is you're not the author of a new message. You're not taking a new gospel. You're not taking any new words of wisdom. You're simply saying, here's what God's Word says. Here's how it's impacted my life. And I implore you to believe it, to trust Him, to follow Him. I'm begging you to do it. We are ambassadors of the greatest message the world has ever known, the gospel of Jesus, God sending His very own Son into the world to become like us. Not like us in sin, but like us in the flesh so that by His perfection, He might become the perfect atonement for us. Sin requires death. You and I don't want to have to pay that. Christ pays it on our behalf. And now in Christ, we get to live. We get to come alive. We get to be the very, the, the, the most human versions of ourselves possible. Like we get to be alive in Jesus, experiencing life and life more abundantly, escaping the one who came to steal and kill and destroy us. We're now living. 
And we're sharing life and we're giving life and we're loving others in a very real way. We're now connected to one another under this banner of the gospel. We're united by the Holy Spirit to like one another, to love one another, like to look out for one another. And we're united by the gospel in doing that to take it into the world. That by our love for one another, the world will see that we're truly who we say we are. Well, we have to be saying who we are, who He is. And this community, this wonderful community that Alan spoke so lovingly about earlier, it becomes the peace that says, that person's telling the truth. What they say is real because look at how they live it out among other people. By definition of this new life in Christ, we're commanded to tell others about Jesus with our words, with our actions. And God makes His appeal to sinners through us. Why? That's really what I'm as amazed as I am. I'm like, why? You could do it so much better than we can, God. And God's like, nope. The absolute best way for me to make my appeal to sinners is through saving a people, creating a people for myself who will now go and spread that message into the world. That's how I'm going to do it. And, and you and me, we get to be a part of this. We're called into this life with Him. We, we live, as hard as this is for me to fathom, like we live as God's mouthpiece. We're proclaiming the good news of the gospel to others so that He may save their souls. We implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That, that means we, we plead with, we beg, we ask, we entreat others to place their faith in Jesus Christ, to turn from their sin and to trust them, Him as their Savior. We are ambassadors of heaven. Ambassadors of the Lord of lords we are messengers now living in a foreign land we proclaim the message of the king of kings to the world telling them about how he's the lord of all lords jesus says as he's creating this new people in matthew chapter 5 he says you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world the spirit of god lives in you the spirit of god lives in me the same spirit of god which brought christ to life lives in us to make known through us the goodness of god so that by word and deed we can proclaim the gospel to people and they too can come to life brothers and sisters you're called to carry the message You're called to carry the message of reconciliation to the lost. Now, what do you tell them? Verse 21 lays it out beautifully. I'll just kind of to summarize it this way. Or expound on it, maybe. For our sake, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to bear our sin on the cross, so that by faith in Christ, we who knew no righteousness, we who knew nothing but sin, might become the righteousness of God. That's the message we proclaim. That's what we tell others. That Christ died so that we don't have to. Christ bore the weight, and, uh, the, the weight, the payment, the punishment of God's wrath on Himself so that you and I can get away scot-free. So that we can live in righteousness. God's righteousness. Not, not our own righteousness. We're, we're not becoming like better versions of ourselves. We're, we're altogether different now. We're new creations, it says. We're bearing a better righteousness. A righteousness that covers us finally forever, once for all. This is who we are. We are now His. And we tell others about it. How do you do that? I think the first thing is that in the way that you live, 
your actions, your decisions, those kinds of things. But you die to self-interest. You, you take on the holiness of God. You say, I'm going to die to my own interest. I'm going to live for you, Lord. You proclaim in that that He is better than anything else in life. Just by your actions, you can do that. Matthew 5.16 tells us to let your light shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There is something very real about the way that we live now in the world. Good works are not to win the approval of God. Good works are to serve our neighbors. or to show that He's good. That He can be trusted. That He's worth serving and living for. He's making us better. The second way is that in the words you speak. So you can proclaim Him in the life you live, but you have to proclaim Him in the words you speak by telling others about the goodness of God in Christ towards you. You proclaim that Christ has saved you from your sins. He's given you the gift of eternal life through Jesus. Now, as a church, as a local church, we value missions. We'll continue to partner to the best of our ability with ministries that are reaching the lost all over the world, here in our own city and beyond. But, but please, do not let supporting those efforts be the only way you involve yourself in carrying the gospel to the lost. It's not a lesser way at all, but it's a way that you're, you're robbing yourself of experiencing becoming a messenger of reconciliation, an ambassador, and the joy of that. To where the gospel really, truly begins to cost you something, and in your suffering, you're now identifying yourself with Jesus. So what do we do? Like, if we're going to commit ourselves to that, what, how do we do that? Well, the first thing I want to encourage you with is, and, and I tried to say something similar at the beginning, but just be faithful in your space. Wherever you are in your life. So one of the examples I, I might give, just because it's kind of, it's close to my home at least, Patricia and I made the decision when we had wells that Patricia wasn't going to work. Now, that's a hard financial decision to make, and it's probably not for everyone. I totally understand that. But for us, this was a conviction that Patricia would be a disciple maker in our home for our children. That we would homeschool the kids, and we would talk to them about the Lord, and we would put Jesus in front of them as often as possible in the way that we live, in the way that we love, the way that we raise so that when that message of the gospel, when that fire hits their heart, there's a ton of kindling there to light. This was a conviction we had. So mothers, motherhood is missional. Absolutely. Patricia and I... Didn't run this by you. I don't think you'll care. But we've had conversations about her wondering, like, am I doing enough? You know, I'm the pastor's wife. Am I doing enough? Babe, you do, do more than enough. The mission field for you, for us, first, are our children. And then beyond that, whatever the Lord allows, we'll do. So, maybe you're not a mom. <laughs> I would say employees and the relationships you're forming. When's the last time you walked across the plant or the office and said to someone who maybe you're just like, I just don't like that person. Hey, let's go to lunch one day this week. Maybe you don't get a lunch. Maybe you can invite them to breakfast before work or something to that extent. But when's the last time you made an effort to say, I want to get to know that person and see if there's a way the Lord might use me to share the gospel with them, to impact their life. Even as customers, we can do this, right? There's places that we all frequent. 
There's restaurants you like. There's owners you're getting to know. There's you even eat probably in the same schedule with a lot of people. Get to know the people around you. Let's let's look up from those you know square screens for a little while. Rectangle, I guess. Homeschool. Sorry, <laughs> it's not for everyone. Um, Look up from those things and get to know the people around us. Talk to them. Ask them, what brought you here? What interests you? How's life right now? I, I promise you, there's 101 different on-ramps to a gospel conversation if you're listening, if you're paying attention. There's lots more we could go into. You can talk about being a friend to someone. You can talk about being a neighbor in a neighborhood and just watching for someone who needs some help with something. Maybe there's children that like to play with your children. That's a great way to get to know parents in a non-creepy way, right? Just to introduce yourself to them. Talk to them about the Lord. I mean, there's so many ways we can be just living a normal, like mundane, everyday life and be used in magnificent ways that will glorify God in all the earth. Let's do that. I think the, maybe the second thing I would say is pray for the Lord to give you a burden for lost people. And I mentioned that earlier. But, but actively be praying like, Lord, I, I struggle with what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 and the way... Kyle exposited it this morning. Like, I, I struggle with that. Just be honest with him. Ask for his help. Ask for the Lord to kindle in you a compassion for lost people. Maybe the final thing I would mention is, if you know some people, write down their names. I would encourage you to think of three. Maybe you do that now. Like, there with your paper, and maybe you can do it in your head and you can remember it. You're amazing that way. But think about three people, or one, but three. Maybe thinking through different parts of your life, like your, your job, maybe your, your family or different relationships, and then maybe someone in the community that you, like, you see frequently. And begin to pray for that person. Pray. Maybe you don't know whether or not they're saved. Pray that the Lord would lead you into a conversation where you could discover that or you could lead them to the Lord. But the point I want to make is that all of us in all of our lives in all areas of those lives can and should live missionally. We can impact the world around us for Jesus in very, like, very real ways, I should say. I won't say easy. But in very real ways. And what feels mundane will begin to take on real meaning. You'll find a lot of joy in doing this. You'll find some hurt. Not all my conversations go well. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's me. Kidding. Some people just aren't there yet. But I don't know that until I talk to them. Amen.